Welcome, everybody, to the Singaviel first interactive live debate. Uh, I have with me Paul Zalkin and James Birchall. Now, let me, who are, I'm very lucky to have joining us, of course. So we've had a lot of webinars over the last year or so, particularly during the pandemic. So we're doing something a little bit different. What we're trying to do today is we are going to do a live interactive debate. So we are going to talk about a very interesting subject. And the idea is, is that you should be able to put your hand up and wave at me. And if I like who you are, I can actually get you to join the debate and you can come on camera and you can give your view, et cetera, et cetera. So let me first of all tell you about uh, Singaviel. So if anyone's new to us, Singaviel, we are, we are the best investment agency in the West End. We are the first investment agency to use uh, online execution as part of the sales process, the first uh, investment agency to use blockchain as part of the sales process, and we're the only commercial agency that runs an international network now in Ireland, UK, Scotland, and in South Africa. So that is Singaviel. Now, let me introduce you to my guests. So the first, the first, um, I'm going to say, I would say my top left, not top left, but it might be top right for you guys looking. I have Paul Zalkin of Quantuma. Quantuma? Quantuma, Quantuma. Quantuma, Quantuma. One of Quantuma's London-based managing directors. He is an FCA. Now, I'm going to stop there a minute, right? Because I couldn't find out what FCA meant. I'm a, it means I'm a chartered accountant. It means okay, I'm a think... fellow rather than associate. Oh, you're a fellow. Okay. You're a fellow. A fellow, a licensed insolvency practitioner and a fellow of the Association of Business Recovery Professionals. 20 years experience advising investors, lenders and directors of businesses exposed to the causes and consequences of financial distress. You don't look like you're old enough to be here yeah. <laughs> for 20 years, Paul. So Paul's, Paul, as we all know, sorry, I should have said, of course, the debate today is um, CVAs, are they a good thing or a bad thing? So Paul is going to be putting the case that they're a good thing. And my other guest today is James Birchall, well known in the property industry of Telling Capital, founding one of the founding partners of Lewis and Partners. I, mean, I don't know who Lewis and Partners are, never heard of them, but anyway, Lewis and Partners, moved to form a joint venture with Arrowcroft called Faircroft in 1999. Uh, James and I did uh, a reasonable amount of business together. He was involved in the creation of a substantial real estate asset management business dealing with distressed assets on behalf of financial institutions following the crash. Uh, the crash then, actually, that's well, whether we're crashing again now, who knows? And he became the CEO of Arrowcroft. He then formed in 2014 Telon Capital, which is a substantial investment and asset management business. So these are the guests and me. So I'm I'm independent. I am your I am your who's a good independent. I'm your Bamba Gascoigne of the live debate today. So, as I said, let me just give you an idea of the format. So we're not going to do a normal webinar where we all tell each other how great we are, because, of course, we all know that we've got three great people here. But what we're going to do is we're going to have a debate and you, we're going to, Paul is going to explain what the C, a CVA is. He's going to um, uh, uh, refer to some recent cases, which are very interesting. Um, James is going to put his talk about his experience as a, landlord and having to deal with some CVAs which 
have affected, which are arguably not very clever, which have affected landlords in a bad way. You can put your hand up, you can send a message. I hope that if you put your hand up, I see it. Um, if not, um, shout, call my office or email and they'll get hold of me. And um, we'll try and get this thing going so you can join the debate at any time. So that's basically how it's gonna be. A bit more fun than just watching people on a webinar while having a sandwich. Now, what we thought we would do to start, let's see if I can get this right. We thought the first thing we would do is we would actually get a poll of whether people think a CVA is a good thing or a bad thing. We'll then have the debate and then we're going to vote again. And we're going to see if anyone has persuaded you, persuaded you to change your vote. All right. So if I can get this correct, right, the first, right, tell me if it, hopefully everybody should allow, should be able to see this. Right. Can everybody see that? Can everybody see that? Mm -hmm. Right. So we need people who are watching to please vote so we can just see the makeup of our audience. Oh, good. It's quite a, quite a balanced audience by the looks of it. Give you a couple. Right. A couple more. Go on, don't be shy. OK, so we've got about OK, about 50 percent of real estate professionals, 36 percent. I think I can publish this actually, so everyone can see. And poll, share results. There you go. So everyone, you should be able to see that. Yeah. So about fifty percent are property people, thirty-six percent landlords. No tenant representatives. Okay. Right. So that's interesting. <clears throat> so the next thing I want to do is move to the next. Let's 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 get everybody to vote on this. Do you think a CVA is a good or a bad thing? Come on, come on, come on. Vote, 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 vote. Oh, look at this. Vote, vote, vote. Couple more. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> Prediction, 99% bad from Richard Swan. Hmm. I'm afraid, Richard, that's not correct, actually, interestingly enough. Um, so there's the result. 58% think it's a bad thing. So I'm going to put that down. 58% bad. Write this down. 20% good. So the swing vote, 23% undecided. It's working well so far, isn't it? I think it's all going all going to plan, isn't it? Over to you, Paul. So you are Paul's gonna tell us what a CVA is, and um, you can decide here where you want to talk about this cram down business and the cases, etc. Over to you. Okay, thanks, thanks, Neil. And thank you very much for um, inviting me on to discuss this. I mean, I, I'm an insolvency practitioner for the purposes of this conversation. You know, I'm an insolvency practitioner. So clients will come to me and, you know, if they're in financial distress, I need to consider what their options are. And obviously one of the tools that I have available to me, which I can um, promote is the CVA. Now, 
the CVA, like the other restructuring tools that I might promote, administrations, we have a new process called a restructuring plan. These are all legislated for within either the Companies Act or the Insolvencies Act. And we're very lucky in the United Kingdom to have um, some of the most mature and advanced um, legislation to enable companies to be uh, rescued and for individuals in financial distress to um, uh, manage their situation. So, you know, a CVA is used when um, a, uh, a business is in distress, but there is still a fundamentally sound proposition there. But unfortunately, its balance sheet needs restructuring in order to allow that business to thrive, survive, not just for the good of the shareholders it's for the good of the entire stakeholder community including all of the creditors and the employees etc etc so first of all what is a cva well quite simply a cva um, uh, which is a company voluntary arrangement is a um, a proposal put to creditors to the unsecured creditors primarily um, in circumstances where a company is insolvent and in financial distress, and it maps out uh, a route forward for the company to rebuild and survive. But obviously that route forward, in most instances, requires all of the creditors to um, agree to some form of debt forgiveness um, and some sort of plan. And ultimately, the idea is, and this is the, the absolutely fundamental point, is that a CVA should be the best alternative in a bad situation. OK, so, I mean, I won't go into the technical detail of a CVA and how they work, but broadly speaking, a document's put together, which is the proposal document. That proposal document is put together by the directors of the company with the assistance of an insolvency practitioner like me. And at that point, we're called a nominee. We then decide whether or not the plan looks fit, fair, feasible. And there's various sort of regulatory issues that we have to consider to decide whether the plan should be put to the creditors and whether a meeting of creditors should be called in order to vote upon the CVA. Um, the voting process is a democratic one. So 75% by value of the creditors choosing to vote have to approve the CVA. And then there's a second round of voting where you disregard any connected party creditors and 50% by value of the unconnected creditors have to approve the CVA. Of course, those who choose not to um, vote for the CVA can be dragged along if the majority is in favour. And that's obviously the point of contention. Okay. Similarly, um, we have other restructuring tools. So we now have something called a cross-class cram-down and there have now been sort of seven or eight of those used, which is another restructuring tool used to restructure the balance sheet so that a company can survive into the future and you rescue the business. Um, and that can involve certain classes of creditors being crammed down upon um, and effectively having their debt compromised. And ultimately that process can go into court and be sanctioned by the court. So the point to remember here is that we have advanced legislation which seeks to promote the rescue of businesses, which in the businesses who in the alternative would just sort of collapse and, and potentially sort of go into liquidation, be wound down, their assets would be picked up um, on a fire sale basis. So, can I ask you a couple? Can I ask you a couple of questions? Because yeah, I think people might who are watching may not 
uh, uh, I always find it confusing myself. <clears throat> the this is not something just that affects just landlords, of course, Absolutely it affects, it affects everybody. The, the thing that I always find, there's two aspects to it that I always find a bit confusing. And I think it's worth, when you say you have a vote depending upon your, the, 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 uh, the, the value of the, um, the money you're owed, when you're assessing the value that a landlord is owed, what do you, how, what do you assess? Is it the liability over the term of a lease or is it the liability for that year or three months? No, I mean, the starting point, the starting point of the landlord's claim is the entire liability falling due under the terms of that lease. So, 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 so they, could, they, they're likely to be the major creditor. Well, that's the starting point. But then, and then one of the bones of contention with CVAs is the inconsistent treatment of landlord claims and the way in which landlord claims have been valued. And the fact that that is potentially prone to a degree of manipulation. And, and that is something that certainly within the insolvency industry at a policy level is, is widely debated. And, and certainly, um, you know, our industry body are free when we look at this and obviously there, we are there to um, represent the interests of members of the insolvency practitioners and make sure that what we're doing as practitioners is considered fair for the whole all of the stakeholders that we effectively represent and consistency and a consistent means of valuing landlords claims is something that I think most people would promote there should actually be a degree of consistency and some definitions but the okay. starting point really is yes you take all sums due under the lease but then of course what happens is what one has to take into account commercial considerations and circumstances as well when you then decide how each landlord is going to be sort of put into various different buckets for the purposes of a CVA and this is assuming that the CVA is all to do with the the landlords fundamentally of course as you mentioned there CVAs are not specifically to do with you know tenant landlord situations they are there just to deal with companies in distress where part of the rescue procedure requires the unsecured creditors to share some of the, the pain. So, okay, so there's, I think the second thing that many people don't, don't understand or don't follow is when you have a CVA, you have, this different, you have this different category ABC thing where on one store you, decide, you offer to pay the full rent, on another store you offer to pay 50%, on another store you have to pay 10%. I never really understand how that operates in practice because how do you decide on those numbers? And secondly, what's, it seems somewhat unfair that one person over here is being offered 100%, clearly they're gonna vote for the CVA, and the person over here at 10% is gonna vote against it. So how's that? how does that operate? Well, the first, thing, the first interesting thing you've done there is use the word unfair. Okay, which I've got a major problem. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, Inequitable. And that is the answer to my question. Unfair doesn't come into it. Um, okay. Yes, you're right. Correct. Actually, the, no, I'm not allowed to have an. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. Sorry. No, no but but it's it's good. It's a good a good point. Right. In, in in my view, it, it it is unhelpful to think about this situation. If you're going to think about it holistically and if you're going to think about why a CVA is being done, we're trying to rescue a business here. And 
one of my sort of one of my fundamental points that I'm going to make is that by a time a CVA has been structured and proposed, the commercial circumstances surrounding it have already crystallised. Effectively, all of the parties have already um, have already suffered the pain, as it were. All the CVA is doing is documenting what in effect has already come to pass okay and unfortunately in any commercial situation and in any form of sort of situation where there's financial distress there will be some stakeholders and some creditors who are going to come out of the process better than others because they each individual creditor each individual supplier to the business has a slightly different relationship and in many instances and I could give you lots of examples actually landlords in other circumstances come out often come out on top and come out better than other creditors in other forms of restructuring i mean in most situations the only reason we're sort of having these debates now is because there has been um, a very significant number of retail focused cbas so they you know they've all come at once like buses but actually if you look over time since the 1986 insolvency act was enshrined in legislation and that is the fundamental piece of legislation that we've been working on since 1986 the number of situations where landlords have actually come out with an advantage over other unsecured creditor groups vastly outstrips the number of times when landlords have been disadvantaged by such processes relative to other creditor groups okay so that's a good point to let James say something. James oh, Birch. So James, you, right. So of breath, so, uh, and I think Paul's <laughs> analysis, I think, is is quite, uh, shall we say, uh, one one that one would contest. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that nobody has an issue in supporting uh, a business that's going through a challenging time, uh, and I think that's first and foremost. Uh, and where we're, what we're really dealing with here, I think, is uh, we're dealing with extremists on both sides. Okay, the CVAs are really being implemented uh, by um, I sort of describe by cor corporate vulture abusers is what CVA really stands for. Because actually, what you are seeing is that they are purely preventing and prolonging the death of poorly run businesses that in very often have been stripped out uh, by uh, asset strippers or private equity or individuals that are not running the businesses particularly well. Um, and they are using this as a grab hold of in order to prevent loss of their own value and their own shareholding or their own revenues. Because what has happened with CBAs is it has become an abuse of, of, of landlords. The, this pure process has become an opportunity for those organizations that have overgeared and overextended and overgrown uh, to actually uh, reconfigure their business uh, without losing any value of their own, without having to put any more of their own money in, but actually just, uh, and the latest court declaration, okay, on the new look, Right, basically gives retailers a carte blanche to vary terms of leases with impunity. Yeah, we're gonna come, yeah, we can come. Yeah, I think we can talk about that in a moment. Yeah, okay. but basically, when you look at what a CVA, and I get the principle, and I have no issue with a a business that is struggling 
having to reconfigure itself or reposition itself or refinance itself, you know, or, or reorganize itself, okay, right, where all the creditors suffer, where the shareholders, existing shareholders suffer, okay, but what is happening with CVAs is the existing shareholders are not suffering. The existing shareholders, and you can take that right the way through, you look at Debenhams, you look at New Look, you look at Pizza Express. Pizza Express had loaded, loaded each of its individual units with 1.2 billion, 1.2 million pounds of debt per restaurant, okay? Now, that's not a well-run business, okay? That's schlapping out the, 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 as much cash as you can, okay? And then using and abusing a system in order to put yourself back on place. Virgin Active, which is the next business which is coming through with the cram down and has just gone through, okay? The government wouldn't bail out Virgin Airlines and Richard Branson. So why should landlords be asked to be bailing out Richard Branson and Virgin Active? So, so the whole issue have, have, over CVAs is it's become an abuse of poorly run uh, businesses or businesses that have been run for the benefit of those shareholders to extricate as large a dividend as possible and maximize the values where they can and then abuse landlords in order for them to retain their value their earnings and owning of an of a business where they actually have no right to do so because actually they're not treating landlords equitably and what so this I will do if i may just finish off yeah yeah on this point is this is going to prejudice regeneration this is going to prejudice landlord tenant relationships this is going to prejudice investments okay um and this is going to seriously damage town centers because landlords are going to be very skeptical about letting to occupiers especially the bigger ones that are private equity run because they've got no certainty and if they've got no certainty, they are the ones that are investing in the risk of real estate. They are the ones that are providing the product. And if it's being abused, then it's going to prejudice their investment and it's prejudicing pensioners as well and pension holders because they are losing their income. And the institutions, are, you know, all of these large retailers that are in the major shopping centers and major town centers and that are cutting up their rents all over the place. All the pensioners who have shares and investing in the British lands and the land securities, okay, who own the major shopping centres and the and the Aberdeen Standards or the Legal and Generals who invest in these centres are all being prejudiced. And if you look at the vast majority of these operations, they're all private equity run or they're all run by backed. And okay. that's yeah. where I have a, a serious objection to the way that this is structured. Okay, Mike, can I make a point actually um i 100 percent agree that private equity has damaged the high street more than if you look at if you look at the chains they were over geared over expanded and and of course the reason is is, is I, if people in private equity get rewarded for high returns not no low returns and you make high returns by taking risks and highly gearing so it's as simple as that however i think that what's happened in the last 18 months is that there's been a complete blurring of the CVA method um, to protect companies and the rent moratorium, whereby you can't go after a tenant who don't pay you rent. And I think the whole thing's become terribly blurred because 
there are companies who are withholding rent when we know, we all know, I'm not going to mention any, but we all know that they can afford the rent. They just chosen not to pay it. Um, reminds me to get my subscription now. There's a bit of a clue. And there's the, uh, um, and then against that, there are companies who actually are in true financial difficulties. I think that's muddied the waters, whereas everyone's against the landlords. So, because um, you're right, what you say, Paul, is prior to say, 18 months ago it was an occasional like, there was an occasional cpa in fact actually i don't remember them after the financial crash were there many after the financial crash i don't remember no, the high I street mean, i don't remember the high street having one one cva after another there's a very good reason neil and to come back on some of james's point james agree with vast majority of what you say what you're talking about there are commercial circumstances which have already come to pass, as I said. I mean, the pain is there, the, the, you know. So I wrote down a few words. So first of all, you talked about companies being massively overgeared. Well, part of overgearing is not just is, is not just actually overgearing with your secured creditor. It's operationally being overgeared because you've actually got these incredibly expensive leases, for instance. Now that reflects the market at the time, but markets change, unfortunately. So you have to, if you're overgeared, you have to de-gear a bit, okay? And, you know, unfortunately at the moment, what we're seeing is that all of the retailers, you know, during their sort of hugely successful period on the sort of the, the British high street in some of the big cities where they've just had upward end only rent reviews, where it's just got more and more competitive, expensive. Everybody's has, their, has had their snout in the trough including i'm afraid including i'm afraid landlords as well everyone's as guilty as one another really so that's one thing you're also applying hindsight here nobody ever holds a gun to a landlord's head and says you will you will rent this premises to this particular company that is owned by a private expert nothing stops a landlord when they're assessing a tenant's covenant from um, you know, looking at the circumstances of how the business is funded and the landlord can continue to review that situation. And the landlord in our sort of democratic, open um, society and, and, and business culture can ultimately choose to bring that relationship to an end. The problem is here, they're having it forced upon them. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with a CVA. As I said, all that does is document what has already come to pass. And there are far more circumstances that we could um, refer to where the landlords have actually come out better of these in these restructuring processes. And I could give you, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. This was actually a freeholder. It was a freeholder of a, a, a big um, industrial site that I was dealing with. And there was a long lease, still had 80 years to run on it. And this site was worth some serious money. Unfortunately, the business that was in administration, and I'm still the administrator of it, had chosen not to acquire the freehold, which it could have bought for £25,000 about eight years ago. Chose not to, somebody else came in, bought the freehold. They're effectively a ground rent consolidator. When it came to me trying to sell my lease um, to, and I rescued the business and I was selling the lease to a party that wanted to sort of come in, buy the business, buy the, the, the industrial site, etc. The freeholder was making it incredibly difficult for me to assign that lease. 
And, and it went on for two years. We negotiated backwards and forwards. I threatened proceedings. And they ultimately, at the very last minute, when my deal was all lined, ready to go, and the only thing was we finally needed their consent, they sent me a 10-page letter outlining all of the all of the um, covenants that had been breached saying that we will agree to assign the lease but this has all got to be remedied in fact they didn't send it to me first of all they sent it to my purchaser because they knew by that stage who it was they said they didn't send it but they sent it to my purchaser and my purchaser was, was like oh my god what have you been not telling me paul anyway to cut a long story short i ended up paying that freeholder bearing in mind they bought this freehold for twenty-five thousand pounds the commercial circumstances that had already come to pass and there was nothing I could do about it, they were crystallized. I paid that freehold of £500,000 to buy that freehold so that I could then assign the lease. That is not an uncommon type situation. I think there's a, a few things to come back on you. On, on, the, on the, the, the snout in the trough comment, okay, I, I think that's from, from both sides, okay? Yeah. No, the, the private equity guys have also, I, I would say, have got the deeper hands, deeper in the trough than, than, than landlords have. Okay. Um, and, and this also comes back to my other comment about extremists taking advantage uh, or, or abusing systems on both sides. Okay. Um, the, big, the, big issue that, um, the big issue that I have really um, it, on a lot of this is if you sign a contract, you sign a contract. Okay. Now, you can't go back six months later or two years later and go, well, actually, you know what? I know I signed the contract. You know, if you, if you get married to somebody, you know, if you go back and say, well, actually, I've changed my mind. I don't want to be married anymore. OK, you can't just walk out without, you know, without having to negotiate a new contract. OK, or contract to extricate. And both sides ultimately have to agree to that. OK, the issue now is that actually, and it comes back to my comment about extremists. Um, is that there is no respect for the contracts that have been issued, okay? And if a, uh, if a retailer is happy to take a lease at a rent at the time, okay, then they surely must have some idea of, or, or ability to project as to where the business is going. And good, prudent businesses will look at what an upside is and a downside is, and they won't overexpose themselves. The problem is that a lot of these retailers and also the food operators, because when you look at the, the food operators that have, gone, that have gone through this in the last 12 months, the Pizza Expresses, the Gourmet Burger Kitchens, uh, as, as two examples, that have all been bought by private equity, the, the Prezzos of this world, where they've all ripped themselves apart, all because the way that these guys make their money is by piling on and piling on and growing and growing and raising the turnover and raising the debt. And Debenhams is the biggest example of all of that. Now, I'm not saying that businesses don't evolve. And if you, you're 100% right, you go back over 20 years and Alders uh, and CNA left the country here and Woolworths went bust, okay? Uh, they were slightly different because yes, once again, it comes back to my comment about poorly run businesses. What you are having here is a combination of poorly run businesses backed by <coughs> private equity money that is abusing that system, okay? And it is extremist on both sides. Landlords will play hardball because, you know, they have an opportunity to do so on, on your example, okay? But generally, most landlords, most occupiers see the 
a symbiotic relationship between the real estate as a partnership where landlords are providing a product and occupiers are utilizing that product to run their business, okay? We are in the supply business, but there also has to be an element of trust in that relationship. That if you are doing something uh, uh, and signing a contract with somebody, okay? That is reputable, okay? That you are going to stick to your word. And just because you hit something that is a challenge, you can't turn around and say, well, it's only the land. It's only the landlords that are taking this liability. And can I, can, can, what's happening is it's only the landlords that are being penalised. The shareholders aren't being penalised. Other creditors aren't being penalised. The banks aren't being penalised to the same extent. It's only the real estate owners. Well, I, yeah, I think obviously each CVA is structured on its merits. So, I mean, it's hard just to say that there is, there is nothing to say that there is a type of CVA where it is only the landlords. I mean, you know, generally speaking, you know, all unsecured creditors in any restructuring will be asked to be part of the sort of compromise. It's just that, sorry, I've got a fly on my face. It's just that, you know, obviously in the retail CVAs, the most prominent um, aspect of the restructuring is what's being done with landlords. Now, you talk about, you know, renegotiating terms of a contract obviously what we've been dealing with over the last 15 months is completely unprecedented and I would actually say that it would be pretty impossible for any business to um, structure itself forecasting the fact that there might be a global pandemic leading to you know multiple lockdowns so what we're dealing with here is something which nobody possibly could have anticipated CBAs are not a new thing it is just hugely unfortunate and regrettable of course for landlords that they are the ones who are left holding the baby now the, the the question is what would your alternative be because bearing in mind we can't change the fundamentals of the economic distress that everybody suffered and that relationship landlord tenant nobody gets up in the morning and says just for the fun of it i'm going to screw my landlord but if you're a tenant and you wake up in the morning and you think i can't pay my rent because i can't open my restaurant i need to do something about it Something has to be done. What's the alternative? Well, I think it shouldn't just be unsecured creditors. All creditors, all shareholders should take a, a, an equal hit. Why should it be landlords? You know, a restaurant that, that decides to go into CVA and reduce the rent or cut the rent, it's not going to suppliers and saying, uh, I'm paying you less for uh, for the vegetables that I'm uh, you're supplying me. Or... The, retail, the fashion retailers are not going to their suppliers and saying, we're going to reduce what we're, we're paying you for the clothes. They're not well, going to the bank. They're not going to the banks and saying, we're paying you less interest. Okay. All they're doing is they're coming to the landlords and saying, we're either going to pay you no rent, percentage of rent, or, and actually, and I've heard a number of cases, we've had our own examples where retailers have come to us and said, we're doing a CBA, we're going to reduce the rent by 75%. We've said we won't accept it. Go. And then they've come back to us and said, "Well, we'll, we'll pay you fifty percent." We've said, "No, go." Okay. And they come back and said, "Okay, we'll pay you seventy-five percent of the rent." So a lot of this is opportunistic, and you're hundred percent right. Nobody could have predicted the extent of what this pandemic <clears throat> has caused. But so when I, I look at, I... when I if I just want to say when I look at the nature of the operators, okay, that have uh, 
utilize this scheme, okay? Uh, and I look at the retailers and the owned business and the multiple owned, multiple outlet owned, which are privately owned businesses. You know, we have people like uh, Great Tree. We have people like yours. We've had Primark who have, yes, they've argued with us, but paid their rents, okay? All right. Um, we have had a number of single unit occupiers, multiple unit occupiers, and I would say even national and international retailers that have come and negotiated with us all the way through this. And their businesses have been challenged, okay? But they have survived without, the, without using this system. I also don't know one business that has gone through the CVA once, that hasn't gone through it at least twice, and ended up going bust. And well, that is also another reason when you look at it, it comes back to the majority of these are poorly run businesses that are being run and extortioned by their shareholders. And that's what really needs to be stopped. The legislation should, if anything, prevent the abuse by the private equity industry that is really challenging this. Well, that's a separate point, I mean, and a separate debate. But the, the reality is that there is nothing at the moment preventing private equity firms from owning businesses. And, and that is just the way it is. Um, so, you know, coming back on a few of your points, you've talked there about um, tenants coming and negotiating with you. So there's clearly no issue with the concept of actually sort of negotiating and coming up with some sort of plan. Um, and so that, that's one point. You don't, you don't seem to have a fundamental issue with the idea of having to negotiate and say, look, circumstances have changed. Can we have some forbearance? Can we actually talk? So that's my first point. My second point, in a, in a CVA, yes, secured creditors don't get to vote because they have alternative re remedies. The legislation says if you're a secured creditor and you don't want to support this business anymore, you can appoint an administrator. That, your security allows you to do that. A, a, a company going into a CVA, if it's secured creditor, generally speaking, it's its lender. If they choose not to, they're, if they're not going to support the business, the CVA is not going to work anyway, because one assumes that you need those senior facilities for working capital purposes. So, and the other thing is, I think we need to move away from this fixation that it's just the CVA is the only tool that um, allows for restructuring. Um, there are lots of different there are lots of different restructuring tools within the Insolvency Act, which would um, uh, give rise to a discussion with a landlord to say, look, if you want this business to survive going forward and you want this person as a tenant, you have a choice. Don't have to keep them. Company goes into administration. Ultimately, we can either surrender the lease or ultimately the company go into liquidation and disclaim the lease. Do you want that to happen or would you like a relationship going forward if in which case you might have to renegotiate so that's just the reality of um, i understand that landlords are feeling a lot of pain at the moment of course they are it's been apocalyptic for so many and it draws into sharp relief some of the very good points you're making that there have been businesses that in the past money's been ripped out by the shareholders, private equity firms have done very well, and now all of a sudden these businesses can't stand on their own to feet. Let's not forget though, that when a CVA is proposed, the company does have to meet a formal definition of insolvency. So at that point, the shareholders are out the money. I mean, the equity is basically gone. Um, I think what we need are maybe, there need to be different CVA models. You've, you've talked there about, you know, the shareholders sail off into the, because they, they do, of course, the company still exists and they try to build back the value of their equity. 
maybe if there was an element of, of debt for equity swap, so that the landlords actually owned a bit of the business and benefited from its future success. All yes, I don't, I, I don't agree with that at all. Personally, uh, I, I, I don't I agree. Can I, can, I, can I just say uh, something? Can I, it's quite good, this, actually. I have to say, it's very, nice, it's very interesting having two... You're both going out. The, I wanted... We are, the idea of this was to try and get some of the audience to be brave enough to say something. So I don't know if anybody wants to put up, put up their hand or instead of put a message in the chat, and I can actually then bring them in. Um, it doesn't matter if you haven't got a shirt and tie on, as long as you've got something on. And then... We're, we're, we'll happily bring you in and you can actually make, I mean, we've got a couple of people who've asked some particular questions, so don't be shy. If you, is anybody out, anybody yeah. out there who wants to say, who wants to come online now, they're welcome to do so. They've got to just send, put a message in the chat and I'll invite you in. Neil, what I'd I, love to hear, Neil, what I'd love to hear from, from one of our audience members, I would love somebody who does not like CVAs to, to give me a credible alternative to, when as I keep saying the, the 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 circumstances that have come to pass that have already given rise to the insolvency that's already happened that's gone what we need is a, a means of sorting it out if people don't like CVAs tell me an alternative um can I, I think this is where I want to challenge you Paul on this and the key thing is the issue and you said this is where we are firstly forbearance forbearance negotiation right now over the last 12 months has been key for keeping a lot of businesses going because it is unprecedented times, you know, even beyond what we had in the GFC, okay? But actually the key challenge is changing the legislation so that actually when you come to restructuring, it's not just a subset of, of creditors that are impacted, but all creditors are impacted. And I think that is the absolute key to this. You know, if landlords want to take a share of the business, there's part of the issue here is very often occupiers now will want ask for a turnover base, but they're not willing to release the turnover. So or, or they they will cap uh, the turnover in terms of what they'll produce. So I think there's two things here. One is that if there is a restructuring, then it has to be across the board and all creditors. And secondly, that if you are going to offer a turnover base or a profit share basis, then it has to be on an open book basis. And this comes back to my comment about relationships and moving forward about supplier and the operator. And it's a partnership. And those, you know, those landlords or property owners that recognize that, they, we work with our operators, we work with our occupiers. You know, we had 90% rent collection in one center and 75% rent collection in another. And that's a real example of working collaboratively with most of our retailers. Some of the big boys, the extremists played hardball, but so did we. Right, Graham. Now look, we've got this, this is working. Let's see if it works. Asked on mute. Right, Graham should be able to, he's, let's see if this is working. Oh, Graham, are you there? Me? Can you yes. hear me? Yes. I've unmuted myself, but, uh... If you, were, if you were able to see me, you'd have no trouble believing that uh, I've been uh, in the retail and leisure market specialising for well over 45 years. <laughs> so it's just as well you can't see me anyway. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, Welcome. The, uh, thank you. The important thing here is, is a question of balance, which nobody seems to have struck yet. 
um, because I've acted on both sides of the fence for all 45 years, and I'm still now acting for uh, landlords and uh, and tenants, tenants speaking to their landlords, landlords speaking to their tenants over this last 18 months. Everybody has different circumstances. One appreciates that. Problems had already started in the retail and leisure market before the pandemic hit. And uh, occupiers were complaining about the level of business rates, for example, being totally out of step with rental values. Um, during this last 18 months, obviously, the pandemic, I think it's quite reasonable that if a retailer isn't able to open their doors for trade, uh, then they're obviously going to have more difficulty uh, paying the rent. But what concerns me is coming out of the pandemic, uh, that you can have two businesses which are doing exactly the same thing uh, and are trading next door to each other. One of them has got the benefit of a CVA for whatever reason, and obviously no landlord wants to have an empty property. They've had to bear payment of empty business rates this last 18 months. They haven't had the benefit that occupiers have had. But there is, you, you criticise, Paul, the, the, the use of the word unfair. I would say what concerns me is inequality, because if you have two adjoining properties, one paying rent in full and performing uh, in the terms of the contract that they signed, and the next door party on a percentage of turnover, which basically takes away all their risk, then what do you say to that occupier who has been well run, they're a profitable enterprise, and they're still having to pay the full rent and overheads going forward. Well, I mean, what I'd say to them was that if they're not insolvent and thriving as a business and able to stick to the contractual terms originally agreed, um, everybody's happy, surely. This is also leading, I think Graham has a very valid point here, because what we're also now starting to see, some of the, the operators uh, want to put in leases. Uh, is that uh, there is a comparison that their rent is to match uh, a similar sized unit that has gone into CVA, um, which if you start having that is going to come back to my earlier point about will totally destroy value because what will happen is you will have a race to the bottom. Right? And all that will happen is you will destroy values of, of commercial centers um, and nobody is going to be able to afford to either invest in these or develop them or maintain them. Right? And you're only going to end up prejudicing themselves because uh, you will be in a, in a fiercely competitive situation that actually is going to prejudice landlords to such an extent. So I think the issue is, and I think, Graham, you're, you're right about this, and this comes back to a number of points and there is a balance okay uh, and Paul made the point that nobody twists the landlord's arm to have to take the the tenant that pays the rent but nobody twists the tenant's, tenant's arm to have to pay the rent they choose to do so okay and that is one of the advantages of, of, of a free market which we're very fortunate that we have but at the same time that free market is currently being abused Right? And the real challenge is how do we prevent further abuse of that 
where you are getting actually very well uh, and substantially backed businesses. You know, Neil mentioned one in particular, okay, that he was going to try and get his prescription from later today. Okay, that's by private. Don't talk, don't talk about my rashes on the air, okay. please. Uh, no, well, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. Backed by private equity, refusing to pay rent during lockdown, and had taken out two billion of dividends in the last year, and they've it, been open and yeah, operating. I think there's. A, I think there, there is a look, look. There is a grey area here between the 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 the, the point about is the CVA um, a good thing or a bad thing. And B, the, the behavior of certain retailers in particular throughout the last 18 months. And there, it, the, the mud, it, the, definitely the water's become muddied between the two. There's one, look, well, I there's, if you look at the questions, there's a couple of questions which actually I think people have asked, which maybe they, people don't fully understand. If you get a CVA imposed upon you because the vote goes through, it's got to go through what by Paul? 75% is it of votes well, or something? 75% by value of those who actually. So if you, if it gets imposed, if James gets is imposed upon him, he has to cut his rent from hundred grand to ten grand on a particular shop. Just so we're clear, he can say no and take the unit back. Is that correct? He will be given the option, presumably, um, of of doing so because. Um, I mean, he's going to get dragged. He's going to get dragged along by the CVA, but each CVA will be structured in a different way, and the proposal will be different. So I can't sort of. There's not a one size fits all blanket CVA. What? But so so CVA, he, he he can't say no. If he if he is that correct? He can, I th I thought you could say no. Well, if if it is, we we will either hand the keys back, or you have to agree to this, and then the CVA is approved. Then it's approved. So he then either has to take the keys back or agree to what the CVA is saying. Yeah, but the, the issue, the real issue of that is if you take something like where we are today, is the landlords are being asked to negotiate with two hands tied behind their back, okay? Because they're going to take a massive hit on, on rent or alternatively, they're going to take a unit back where in this climate, okay, they're not going to want the unit back. <clears throat> so they're either going to be hit with costs and liabilities or... They're basically having to negotiate a deal with two hands tied behind their back. And that, James, which is, is which is, say that again. I said, and that the problem is, and I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to sort of deliberately be controversial here. Yeah. But you've used the term, you know, it's the free, it's not the free market being abused, it's the free market operating. But it's not. It's an abuse of the free market because what I'm saying is, the operators that are used are taking advantage of the legislation at this moment. And it comes back to my comment of, as you said, they will only put the unsecured creditors to the vote here. And the majority of retailers, the largest unsecured retail, uh, unsecured creditors are landlords. So what is happening? On CVAs, yeah. On CVAs, okay. Of they retail, are only of retail CVAs. Of retail, but this is where the real issue is, okay. So the large, so, the operators are looking at this in full knowledge that the largest unsecured creditors are landlords. Therefore, they will negotiate with landlords on the basis that they, at this moment in time, are abusing a system which is going to gain them benefit, which does them no detriment in terms of their own value. Doesn't affect their value 
because they're still going to be generating profits, which is what they need to be doing or wanting to be doing. And knowing that the only unsecured creditor that is going to be significantly impacted is the landlord. So if you take, for example, the, 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 the Cafe Nero CVA, okay? Now, there's a great example of a business that is abusing the CVA. There's a perfectly good offer out there to sell, okay? But what they tried to do is take advantage of the market when they've also been, cafe, coffees, takeaways, been largely open. And I've got a friend of mine who owns a Cafe Nero. They wanted to put, end up at 5% of the rent. And when he said no, and no, and no, and this now the CBA is not going through in the way that they proposed, they come back and renegotiated a much higher rent. Now, yes, that's one side is the market, but the other side is it's proof of the abuse. Well, it's and and I, what I, I would like to see, Paul, is from insolvency practitioners, okay, to actually look at this and say, okay, you know what? Um, this is not right that the landlords are the only creditors that are impacted. Well, to be very clear, insolvency practitioners don't get to set the legislation. I mean, it's the insolvency service that is the, 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 the part of Bayes, which affect, or I think the insolvency service sits under Bayes, and they will make recommendations to ministers. And if ministers decide that it's necessary to change the legislation, then that, that is obviously done as a, as a statutory process through parliament. Or we we do not get to we 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 get to um, take part in consultations, policy consultations, etc. And we listen to you know the British Pro Property Federation and everybody listens. I mean, it's a very open democratic process, but we don't get to choose the legislation. All I'm saying is that there are tools there. I mean, it's look under our current government you know they are they do not like the idea of making loads and loads and loads of legislation and are they going to make legislation which is seen to be specifically protecting the rights of landlords as a creditor group um, as opposed to any other form of unsecured creditor in a in a in a in a um, customer supplier relationship i really don't think the government's ever going to do that they will ultimately say we will provide a load of different tools within the legislation which will help facilitate restructurings where the commercial circumstances are such that a business has failed, it's insolvent, and it will either be, it ultimately fails into liquidation and everybody loses, or it can go into administration and there's gonna be some sort of restructuring, or it's a CBA. But it's for individuals and market forces to decide what then happens with those relationships between a supplier um, and its customer, be it a landlord and a tenant. Or let me let me ask you if you've got the ability. Now, if I just ask Paul, if you've got the ability, okay, to to make representation to the insolvency service, okay, would you, as an insolvency practitioner, recommend to your body to go to the solvency and say a more equitable solution here for retail CVAs or all CVAs would be all creditors should be treated equally rather than landlords because we support the property real estate industry in understanding that they are being disproportionately affected. Well, not only would I, in certain respects with a couple of caveats, but I have sat on a, a, a policy committee where we, we absolutely had that debate and where we take into account the views. I mean, R3, as I said, which is 
which is the representative sort of the, the umbrella representative trade body for insolvency and restructuring professionals has those debates and does actually inform um, the insolvency service, etc. So absolutely. I mean, there's a difference between um, I mean, I, I agree with the principle that, you know, unsecured creditors in, in most insolvency scenarios, they have to be treated on a parry pursue basis. So if what you're saying is ultimately the alternative is this company is going to go into liquidation or administration. If there's a pot of money available, ev sorry, everybody gets treated on a parry pursue basis. Mm -hmm. the, the CVA is a process that has to look forward as to what needs to be done to make this company work going forward. And it's a way of saying, well, with I don't think you can apply a blanket. Well, every single supplier to that business, be it the, you know, be it the utility supplier, be it the landlords, be it the um, stationary suppliers, etc. Everyone has to just take the same amount of a can cut. I, it just doesn't. Can I, can I? Can I look? I know. Just I'm not sure everyone will know that will actually really understand the difference. I've got two two questions. I, it's actually great. There's a lot of interaction here. The next person who wants to join can join. If they just send me a message, they're welcome to come in. Can you just make clear to people the difference? I know it sounds, it might be obvious to some, but the difference between a secured and an unsecured creditor and, and the ones who can vote. Can you give yes, us an example? I mean, a, a secured creditor would literally be, you know, a company, a company has arranged an overdraft facility or a term loan with a bank and the bank will take security, which it will register at company's house. Um, and that security can take the form of a specific fixed charge, say, over a property, or it might be a floating charge over substantially the whole of the company's business. But it's no different from, you know, when we all, you know, borrow money on uh, to buy a house, you obviously take a mortgage and that mortgage is a security instrument, which gives that particular lender different rights and different step in rights in the um, if there is a default <coughs> in the um, in the loan being paid whereas an unsecured creditor will just be a general supplier to the business who offers credit to the business you know it might be a you know on 30-day terms etc and if the business becomes insolvent and it can't pay its liabilities as they fall due and it's going to go into say liquidation all of those unsecured creditors will be treated on an, the same basis that there's a if there's a five okay. pound dividend due to come out to the unsecured creditors, everybody gets 5p in the pound. But okay. CBA is obviously slightly <clears throat> saying, well, what do we need to do to restructure this business's cash flows in order to make the business work? You know, does sound does does seem a bit unfair. I'm sorry to use that word, Paul, but it does seem a bit unfair that the, the unsecured take the hit, but the secured doesn't share in the hit. Well, that's not necessarily the case, of course, because what you're assuming there that, the, you know, in a, in a CVA, the secured creditor might choose not to support the business because they think we don't believe this business is going to be viable going forward. We are going to instead um, exercise our remedy as a secured creditor to appoint. Yes, I, get, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, OK. OK. Anyone else want to join? Anyone else want to have the... We had we have we've, we've had Graham come on, but without his camera. Anyone wants to show us what they look like? Everyone's very shy, aren't they? Look, I have I have to say um, it's been a really good debate. We've been going an hour, and I think we can carry on. But should we just? Um, I wanted actually, if I can suggest, I wanted to mention the two recent court cases, which 
just explain to people what's happened very recently. And then maybe we'll have our vote. Unless anybody else, I mean, there's loads of, there are various questions flying around, which you can probably see. Um, do, do you want to mention what's actually, what the, the actual landlord's failure to challenge the new look decision? Well, I mean, I, it, it, to describe it sort of very simplistically, the new look decision was probably a bit in the, a bit of a kick in the teeth for landlords um, because it effectively, it, it, in the simplest terms possible, it effectively endorses the use of CVAs as a restructuring tool um, that can compromise landlord claims. Okay, that's the most simplistic way without sort of going into the, the, the detail about it. The Regis, the Regis decision was a slightly different one because that was a CVA that failed and it went into administration. But both of the decisions and the sort of the mood music from the courts where they've been asked to look at these things um, have effectively sort of said, well, look, no, CBAs are here to stay in terms of dealing with um, dealing with retail situations where we need to compromise the claims of creditors. And the simple reason for that, and it comes back to it, and, you know, I'm absolutely not in any way, shape or form anti-landlord. I'm very anti-abuse of CBAs where in circumstances that James describes, if they have rampantly been used as an abusive process in order to um, take advantage of a particular situation, then of course, nobody, nobody should possibly endorse that. That is not what insolvency legislation is there for. Insolvency legislation is there to deal with genuine situations where the alternative would be worse for all parties, including most importantly, the landlords. Um, so the court, recent court decisions effectively are saying, no, you know, CVAs are kind of being used appropriately. I mean, this is one of the, this is one of the things, there's been a couple of things in the chat. So Phil, Phil Reynolds, who is a fellow IP, um, has made the point that forfeiture is a proprietary right. So um, a CVA doesn't disturb that. I mean, a landlord can choose to forfeit its lease, but of course that means taking it back, irrespective of what the CVA says. And also Anna Jeffrey, who's who's a LexisNexis, so, so a lawyer, has has made the point that um, the right to terminate as an alternative to the CBA has been confirmed in the new. <laughs> so, but any CBA really is going to be basically saying to the landlord, "Look, do you either want to take the premises back or agree to this?" And as I keep saying, it is a reflection. The other the other point I'll just quickly make as well is that. Part of, part of the CVA legislation allows um, any party who's being dragged along by the CVA to challenge it. There's sort of a 28-day window post-approval. And if you can prove unfair prejudice, which is a defined um, a term in, in the legislation, or a material irregularity, you can seek to challenge a CVA. Material irregularity would be the sort of judicial review type point where there has been some part of the process which has not been run properly. A material prejudice would be the more sort of commercial point to show that, you know, so those rights exist and that's why we have these challenges like New Look, et cetera. But really what the court's been saying is that no, CBAs are a tool. They're one of, one of the tools that we have in the, in the toolkit to help businesses rehabilitate. And we've got to remember, this is not about kicking landlords. It's about trying to actually get these businesses back on track because the alternative in the final analysis is that business goes bust, it appoints a liquidator. And at that point, somebody like me as the liquidator disclaims the lease and, and the landlord basically has an empty unit. 
So I, I, I think, Paul, look, I think there's a lot that, you know, we've talked about today. Um, and I think uh, I started off by saying I have no issue with supporting businesses that are struggling in challenging times. Uh, and we've talked about CVA as a restructuring tool, right, which is what it's intended to be. I think the real issue is that what it has become now is it has become a, uh, a tool um, that has been overly aggressively used uh, by organizations to the point that it's being abused and is allowing operators to almost act with impunity. What's the alternative? And, say that again? What's an alternative? I think the alternative- Some, someone, has, someone has actually asked that. I think the alternative is that it is not just all, it's not just unsecured creditors, but all creditors take an equal hit in terms of the value of the impact of their losses. Right? And that I think would bring sharply into attention, uh, to attention the shareholders as well, because I presume a shareholder is in essence a creditor as well in that respect, right? Uh, as an owner of the business. and if they're going to lose a percentage of their uh, value, then I think it would seriously allow those people to stop and reconsider what would be in the best interest of the business, not just what's in the best interest of the shareholders, which well, is what this has come. But, 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 it's, but by the time you get to a CVA, the equity is worth nothing anyway, effectively. That's why the value is breaking in the unsecured debt, which needs to be compromised. It's only in the future that the shareholder and the value of the equity can go from being negative, which it will be if the company's insolvent, eventually, that's the whole point of this process, it builds it back. And yes, eventually that company might be rehabilitated and those shareholders. So if what you're saying is, well, if in a few years time, the business is worth a load of money, then the shareholders should put their hand in their pocket and pay some money back to the creditors. That's an interesting point to make. Uh, the original idea, my understanding, Paul, and you may correct me if I'm wrong and I've misunderstood, the original idea of CVAs was to obviously allow for the restructuring of the business, but allow for a proportion of its debts to be paid over time. And if that is the case, then perhaps that is something in particular that could be looked at from a legislative perspective to actually ensure that it isn't just written off, but if there is success, that there is an element well, of repayment. Well, because there, is, there, is a, there is a point here and someone has asked the question, what's the difference? You know, how does what it was talked about prepacks? There is there is a point here that if a company is insolvent, which it has to be in order to invoke a CVA, the question is, why would you back a company that's bust? You're you're backing the hope the hope that it might get better again. I mean, well, that's that's really what you're but that's really the bottom line. If it's yeah. bust, it's bust. So well, I mean if yeah, well, no. Well, no, it, it might be, it might, you know, you're either bust. You're not temporarily bust, you're bust. So if you think about it, so what the CVA seems to be doing, if I can suggest as a, having listened to everyone, um, yes, okay, I've got that. What, what, what it seems to be doing is saying, well, we'll give you another chance. Anyway, look, it's, we've gone for over, it's really, this has been great. I'm gonna call the part, let's do the vote. Let's do the vote. Let's see, who, should we see what the vote is now? Right, so let's do the last vote. Here we go. So last time, we had 58% bad and we had 20% good. Should we see if anyone, should we see, let's see if we've had much of a difference. Keep voting, come on. Can anyone see that? You can't see this at the moment, can you? 
Lucky Boating. I'm going to come on 30 more, more, more. Nearly. Keep going. Don't be shy. Shall I, shall I count down for five? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, right. So, well, there we are. Made Ooh. no difference at all. Made virtually no difference at all. <laughs> <laughs> so when we started, the, we had 58% thought it was bad, 20% thought it was good, and 23% undecided. Now we've got 26% undecided. Uh, people still view it as bad. Look, oh, look it's the sign, Neil, that is the sign of a very, very good debate because those, those who think they're good think they're good. Those who think they're bad think they're bad. And other people have said, well... You know, I can see it on both sides. And I think that's the important point here. Let, let me stress something. And I'm sort of doing this a, a little bit as, a, as an insolvency practitioner, but also on behalf of the insolvency industry generally. We are not there to um, take sides. Absolutely not. Insolvency practitioners, very strict ethical code. We have to consider the commerciality of a situation. And we are trained and licensed. And, and it takes a long time to become an insolvency practitioner. We are there to try to make the best of a bad situation. And we have a, a, a toolkit of legislative tools that we can use. Um, and that's the framework in which we have to use. We are trying to make the best outcome for everybody. It's not trying to kick tenants. We're not, not, this is not an anti-pool debate, don't worry. Just, no, like no, listen, no, no, it's a, to, to I understand. Land, you know, unfortunately, this is, my point is summed up in a few words, it is what it is. And we have to make the best of it. I want uh, to, I have to say, Paul, that I want phrase that I hate the most. <laughs> I agree that we have to make the best of it. But I think if we take that approach, then nothing is ever going to change. And I think what has come out of this is I think there is an agreement that what it, where the legislation uh, sits today, from a real estate perspective, it prejudices landlord. And I think we're both in agreement that there needs to be a change in legislation that probably protects landlords better going forward, whether that's either all creditors or uh, some kind of future repayment if the business is successful going forward. I think we probably end up in agreement with that. More, more or less, more or less, yes, we do. So luckily, right, can I just thank, luckily for the audience, we've got two, we've had two guys on today who ask very strongly their views. And actually, you may have noticed, this wasn't like news night where I interrupt you the whole way along. Everybody was very courteous. They made their point, And it, that was very nice, actually. So look, I want to thank you both. Oh, that was excellent. And I haven't even told everyone too much how great Singivielle is in this debate. But of course, everyone remembers that. Look, this is, uh, we're going to do this again. We're going to do the next debate we're going to do, everyone who's watching, is also going to be quite, an, uh, I hope, a topical subject. The next debate is going to be blockchain is here to stay, bitcoins are not. And I am going to be putting the case that cryptocurrency is the ultimate king's new clothes. I don't believe in it for a second. And yeah, I completely agree with blockchain technology. So that's going to be our next debate, which we're going to try and do in about three weeks' time. So we're going to publicise that, and hopefully, we get. We, we need to try and find someone. We need, we need to find one more person actually for the debate. Um, who, not, we've already got a pro and against, but I think we need another one. Anyone interested in cryptocurrency and blockchain, uh, be in touch. Look, guys, thank you very much. It's been an hour. It's been great. And if anybody wants. The advice, can I just say, anybody wants some advice from Paul and you haven't got Paul's 
email address, please email me. I'll put you in touch with Paul. Anybody who wants some property um, advice in terms of asset management or you want to participate in an investment, I can introduce you to James. And if you want to flog a building, it comes to me. All right. That's it. Neil, right, thank, thank you very much thank indeed you. for the invite today. Really it. has been it. really good. Really good. All right. That's been really, really great. Lovely. Thanks. Okay. Everybody. All right. All, all right. All. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank, I'm going to end now. Thank you for, no, thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. Okay. Bye. 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 bye.